principle that will lead the value that I'm living by according to His Jesus Christ. He saved me, that I'm living my life for Him. But even if that's you this morning, the reality is that there's some competing values. There's things that compete in our life. There's, there's other values. There's other priorities that come along in our life and they can distract us. For some of you, that's during suffering. For some of you, temptation comes along. Sin, sickness, strife comes along. And all of a sudden, the things you say you believe about Jesus, the things you know to be true about Jesus, and these beliefs that should guide the way you live, they don't seem as clear anymore. Have you been there? Are some of you there right now? You say, man, I'm here because I identify with Jesus, but how I should live in light of that, it's not as clear right now because of my difficulty. Some of you, because of success, Success in your career, in your relationships. You're in a place right now, if you're honest, you would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but right now I'm living with me at the center instead of them at the center. And see, the reality is with these competing values, beliefs, principles, we can get distracted, right? And some of you would say, I'm at that place today. If I'm honest, in varying ways and to varying degrees, as I look at my life, I'm not living in life of the Jesus that I trust in. That's you. There's good news, isn't it? That Peter is going to walk us through how we can put Jesus back at the center. How we can live our lives in light of the living hope that we have in him. So I'm going to invite you to walk through that with me. It really boils down to three commands in this passage. You can write these down and take the notes. Three commands we're going to walk through, and they're this. Be ready, be different, and be who you are. Be ready, be different, and be who you are. The first one is be ready. You see it's verse 13. Verse 13, look at the verse. It starts with this word, therefore. This is a key transition in the letter. Some of you have heard this before, but when you see this word, therefore, you always want to ask, what is the therefore Therefore, yeah, you got it. We want to ask that. Well, it points back to the first part of the letter. If you've been to the last two weeks, we've been talking about this living hope, this inheritance, this unfading, this salvation of our souls. We've been talking about this living hope. You can listen online, you can listen on iTunes if you miss, but that's what we've been talking about. That's what Peter has been talking about. And now he comes to the turning point in the letter. Where he says, in light of this living hope, here's how you live. Now I want you to notice that this session that begins to explain how we should live is in verse 13, not in verse 1. Do you see that? This session where it talks about how we begin to live our lives is in verse 13, not in verse 1. It doesn't start this way. It doesn't start with what we do. It starts with what God did. That's what we've been talking about. And this is the opposite of religion. Maybe you're new to church or just trying to figure this Christianity out. You need to know this is the opposite of religion. And we even see it in the book of 1 Peter. That Peter is saying, you've been born again to a living hope, an inheritance, a salvation. And in response to all of that, 
Therefore, go and live it. That it's not about earning, it's about expressing this hope that we receive in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The first thing he tells us to do, the first way we should live in life is hope. Once we get that, is to prepare our minds for action. Verse 13. It's interesting, in the original language, it literally says, to gird up the loins of your mind. Which sounds a little off, right? I mean, we see why they translated it. But for Peter's audience, this would have been odd. That in ancient Middle Eastern culture, that men and women would wear long, long robes. And as they could get ready for war or work, they would tie up these robes around their waist so they could run, right? So they could do things. So they could be more agile, right? And so as he says, gird up the loins of your mind, he's giving us a visual to say, tie up the excess of your mind. Get rid of the distractions and focus in on what God has called you to do. He follows it up to be sober-minded. He's not just referencing actual drunken, so that's a piece of it. He's referencing all the ways that our minds can wander, that our thoughts can be occupied and preoccupied with other things, and we can lose sight of who God is and what he's called us to. It's what Peter is, is calling us to, what Peter is calling you to, is to be ready. And it starts with the mind. That you would have urgency and you would have clarity in your mind as you live in light of a living hope. That you would be ready. A couple months ago, we played flag football as a church, and um, it was right after Sunday service. And Sundays were kind of busy for me, specifically right after service. Um, I'm talking to people, doing things. Um, winding things down, and so I got over there super late. So I got grabbed a sandwich, changed clothes, and by the time I got over there, they were starting to play. And so I walk up and I think, well, I kind of need to stretch. I kind of need to jog around a little bit at least. But you know what? Heck, I'll just, I'll just put on the flags and start playing. Like I'm in decent shape, right? I'm kind of that. And so I just walk out there, the game's starting, I just got there preaching, talking to people, doing all these things. I walk out there, and I think, well, I'm just going to play without stretching or running at all. And listen, I don't even think I ran a route yet. I think I just threw a pass. And I managed to strain every muscle in my body. <laughs> in the moment, from throwing a pass, right, my whole body was strained, and the rest of that time, I was in pain because why? I wasn't ready, right? It's the same way in our spiritual lives. I heard a pastor say recently, he said, preparation time isn't lost time. You can't manufacture maturity. Listen, if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, we'll get distracted. We'll have desires that go unchecked. We'll have sloppy habits that we develop. They'll make us vulnerable to sin. They'll cause us to doubt if we're not ready. And listen, some of you, 
have been there. If you're honest, you say, I don't have this urgency, I don't have this clarity, I haven't been focused, preparing in my mind for the life God has called me to. And then what happens? Temptation comes along. And you just die right in. A trial pops up, and it floors you. And you can always look back on those times in your life and you say, you know what, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't walking closely with God. I wasn't spending time in the Word. I wasn't prayerfully considering His purposes for my life. And when that trial hit, and that temptation hit, I wasn't ready. It floored me. Peter is calling us to be ready, to have an urgency, So that when those trials come, and they will. When those temptations come, and they will. When that suffering come, comes, and it will. That you're ready. It doesn't mean that it won't affect you, but you're ready to persevere through it for the glory of Christ and for your joy. We need to be ready. We need the urgency and clarity. How do we do that? Look at the verse. Verse 13, the last one. It says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is alluding to is an eternal perspective. That Jesus is coming back. That now, that now, success or your suffering, that now isn't all there is. That there's a grace we experience now if you know Jesus and you're saved by him. But that hills and pierces the grace that you'll receive when Jesus comes back. When we see him face to face, when all that suffering is removed when everything is made right. But that's the, the hope that we need to set our mind, our heart fully on. That we don't just think about the now, we think about what's to come. So you're thinking, why is the mind so important? And I thought we were talking about our actions, like the way we live. But what you need to know as you look at scripture is so much of what happens in your head. That it goes down to your heart, to your affections. And that what's in your heart gets worked out as your hands. That it all starts in the mind. And so Peter starts with the mind. We need to be ready with our mind. The second thing we see of living in light of this living hope is that we need to be different. Verses 14 through 16. It says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your life. Since it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. So verse 14 moves from the mind to actions, to our conduct. It talks about holiness. That word holy means to be set apart, that you're set apart from ordinary or evil use, and you're devoted to glorifying God. You're different. So if you're here, you say, I'm a Christian, I've trusted in Christ, you should live differently. That you're different from the old you. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That you're different from the world around you. You should be holy in all of your conduct. So as we talk about holiness, maybe that's something you've heard about before or seems complex to you, but basically it means that we should be different and devoted. We should be different and devoted to our Heavenly Father. Notice what it says in verse 
14. He refers to us as obedient children. That's a really big deal. Obedient children. They were not just servants, we're not slaves. There's a relational component to this. That God, our Father, is asking us as his kids to be like him. To be set apart like him. We would be different, we would be devoted. Because we know God as Father. Verse 16 continues that theme. Peter quotes the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament when God calls the Israelites to be holy as I am holy. I don't know what your experience is with holiness in the Christian life. Maybe you think of it as, well, that person's holier than thou, which basically means they're a jerk. <laughs> Maybe you think of it as just following some rules. Maybe you think of it as just avoiding sin. It's so much more than that. It takes place in a relationship where we get to know God and to his heart, and we begin to imitate him. I have a three-year-old son, and he's at home with my wife and our eight-month-old little baby. So he spends a lot of time with our eight-month-old baby. And so they're fast friends, right? And one day, I come home, and my wife's going to be counting the day. And she said, you know, one point I walk in, Ashley, our three-year-old, has our eight-month-old baby, and he's just slobbering all over her arm. Just slobbered all over her arm, and my wife walks in and she's like, Ashley, what are you doing? And he says, Oh, mommy, this is what boys do. <laughs> and uh, the more she talked to him, the more she realized that he watches daddy grab Tanaby, our eight month old sweet little baby. And I'll grab her and I'll grab her arm and I'll grab her belly and I'll just blow on that skin. Do not be conformed to those passions. 
that they're still there a little bit. They still remain, and we need to resist being conformed to them. But listen, he also applies that this is not who you are. Not anymore. That these things are from your former life. And so when you see that holiness is a battle, you can write that down. Holiness is a battle. That when I was in college, I experienced this. My walk with God was formed really well and significantly in college. So some of you guys are here in college, and you have an incredible opportunity to know Jesus, to make him known, to be formed spiritually during this time of your life. And that was me. And I remember I started to learn the Bible for the first time. I started to read it for myself. And I began to be amazed at what all that God had done for me and what he wanted to do through me. And I began to walk that out. So I not only read the Bible, but I began to teach it to others. I began to learn these things and say these things and do these things differently than I used to. But as I began to do that, there were these old desires. There was, there was these old passions that began to pop up in my life. And just every once in a while, I would get in those things. I would go to those unhealthy relationships. I would exhibit that unhealthy behavior. And it was just kind of popping up here and there in my life. And I remember some godly guys came around me in college and they began to say, Hey, hey Tim, this is, this is not who you are anymore. That you, you know Jesus now. That you're to walk in His ways. That these former desires, you need to get those things out of your life. That you're talking about God a lot. You're leading other people to follow God. And this shows some inconsistent character in your life. And I remember these college students are saying this to me. And I remember thinking like, you don't know me. I mean, yes, I say some things over here, and yes, I do some different things over here, but that's not inconsistent. And I thought, wait a second, it is. Dang it. This is inconsistent. That I'm saying these things, I'm doing these things over here, but I still dabble on these things over here that I have an inconsistent character. That this isn't who I am anymore. And they were right. And there were some things in my life that I had cut out. It's like when we bought our first home as a family. We got into that backyard and there were some weeds. But they were pretty trees. <laughs> they had flowers. Our kids loved them. They would want to go pick them and put them in a vase. And put them on the table. They loved these weeds slash flowers. And over time, I just had to tell them, like, guys, these aren't flowers, these are weeds. And we began to realize, like, these aren't healthy for our yard. They shouldn't be back there. And so what did I do? Well, first I got the mower, and I, I mowed them down. And then I realized, well, that doesn't work so well. Like, they come back up. And so I had to get down on the ground with my kids, and we had to uproot these weeds. We had to pull it all the way out. Unless it was difficult, it took some time, but over time there were less and less weeds. We never got rid of all of them, but there was progress over time. 
You see, as we look at holiness in the life of a believer, God's not calling you to perfection. He's calling you to progress. That over time, you would see those former ways that you used to live in, that you would see those be cut out, uprooted, so that you can walk in your identity in Christ. That he's called you to be different, to be devoted, set apart to be used for his glory, for your joy. That over time, you begin to see that in your life. Do you see that? Do you see a difference from your whole life? A difference from the world around you? Peter is calling us to be different. The third thing we see is that we should be who we are. Verses 17 to 21. This passage by itself could be its own sermon. It says a ton, but if I can sum it up, basically it says this. It says, live with fear because of who we are in Christ. Live with fear because of who we are in Christ. And at first glance, those two, two things may seem opposite, right? But the reality is that disobedience leads to these consequences. That God disciplines the ones he loves. That he's not saying be fearful of losing your salvation. You can't lose that. If you've been with us just in 1 Peter, you know that. That God's called you, He's elected you, that He has caused you to be born again into this living hope, that it started with Him, not with you, therefore you can't lose it. This isn't saying be fearful of losing your salvation. What it is saying is be fearful that in your life, if you don't follow God, if you don't see progress in your life, that there will be consequences, that God disciplines those He loves. It's like driving. That there's lanes on a highway that we're designed to drive on. And if you just think, well, I'm just going to do my own thing, I'm going to swerve over into oncoming traffic, it's going to go bad for you, right? It's going to go very bad. It's the same way in our spiritual that God has developed and designed these lanes to walk in, to function in, for His glory, for your joy, to stay in those lanes. And what Peter is saying is that you should walk with a fear, a careful confidence. A careful confidence. I want to stay in these lanes. I want to stay in these lanes. Keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. Be ready. Be different. Because this is how God has designed me to function. And that we live this way, ultimately, because of who we are in Christ. So live in fear because of who you are in Christ. So verse 18 alludes to that. It says knowing that you would know who you are in Christ. He gets described what that looks like. That we're ransomed. Look at the passage. We're ransomed. We're set free. That Jesus made a payment to set us free from our old ways, from our sin. That we're ransomed. That we're believers in God. Like you see that? That our faith and hope are in God. That this is who we are now in Christ. And as you walk in those lanes, as you walk in your new identity, verse 18 says there's this realization that your old ways are futile. Have you come to that place? Have you come to that place where you realize that Jesus' ways are good and meaningful and right and joyful? That your hope is found there. These other ways, if you really look at them, they're futile. They're meaningless. They don't have value. Have you come to that place in your life? 
There's a friend of mine in Portland who got saved out of a pretty crazy lifestyle. And he began to learn about God and follow Him. And we were in the same Bible study together. And I remember one night he came to that Bible study and he just confessed. He just said, listen, before I was, I was getting ready tonight, and I kind of almost didn't come because I looked in the mirror. And he said, as he looked in the mirror, he said, who are you? Who are you? Like you're going to a Bible study instead of a club. You're finding meaning in God instead of drugs. Who are you? Who is this guy that I'm looking at in the mirror? Why am I going to this Bible study? But he came and he began to talk about how God has begun to work this in him. He's beginning to work out of him. This new identity, who he is now in Christ. And those old things he was doing, that at one point he thought had so much value, so much meaning, that now he looks at them and they're futile. They're empty. They're chasing after the wind. And he came to that realization. Have you come to that realization in your life? Where you begin to realize who Jesus is. All that he's done for you in you. Who you are now in him. Let me just tell you, if you have it, it's an amazing experience. It's an amazing experience to wake up with new desires. To wake up and say that those old ways that just keep getting me back into trouble, that keep causing pain in my life and in the lives of those around me, that I see clearly now. I see clearly, I don't want to go back there. I want to follow Jesus because of who I am in Him. It's an amazing, joy-filled experience when you realize that I have come to that place. If you haven't, I think this would be helpful. Verses 19 through 21, it, is, it describes all that Jesus is. If you don't know, it describes all that Jesus is. Just listen. It says, He's without blemish or spot, meaning He's perfect. That he's foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's eternal. That he was raised from the dead and he's given glory. That he's glorious. That what this passage is saying is look to Jesus. Look at all that he's done. All that you are in him. That he has set you free from your old ways that are futile. He has set you free to live for him and to experience the joy that comes with that. I would challenge you this morning to see Jesus, the perfect, the glorious, the eternal Son of God who died in your place. And as we sang earlier, we didn't say that, amen. And he rose again in victory. And if we get to follow him, we can him now. No longer in our free solid So as we wrap this up, I want you guys to live what we're learning. And I just have three questions I want you to ask as we the first one is this, that you would ask, does the way I live reflect who I know? Does the way I live reflect who I know? Am I living in light of this living hope that I've been given? Am I ready? Am I different? Am I living in who I am in Christ? Is that the life of As you ask that question, you begin to ask the second question. What do I need to let go of so that that is true? What do you need to let go of? We have so much excess, so much information coming at us from every angle, don't we? As Peter talks about our minds being 
clarified, that we're ready. It's so difficult in our culture because we have politics, we have sports, we have entertainment, we have social media, we have so much now. What do you need to let go of? Listen, I'm not saying go in a cage and let go of all of those things. But I am saying look at your life. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your talent? How do you spend your treasure? Is it all focused on the now? Or are you seeing that hope, that grace that's going to be revealed at the end of the day in Jesus Christ? What do you need to let go of so that can happen? What former ways in your life do you need to let go of? What passions that aren't God that are still hanging around that you need to uproot? You need to get down on the ground. You need to take them out of the ground and say, these things are no longer going to be a part of my life. What do you need to let go of? And then lastly, what do you need to take hold of? What are ways that we delight in God? What are ways that you're devoted to Him? Not just avoiding sin, but delighting in God through serving, through loving other people, through spending time with them, through getting involved in a local church. What are the ways that you're taking hold of those things in your life and your devotion to Him as you grow to be more like Him? As we close, I don't know this morning if you're experiencing difficulty, I don't know if you're experiencing success. But I would imagine there's a lot of us in this room that if we're honest, that we would say, the way I'm living is not reflecting who I am. That I've got my track. That my beliefs, my values, my principles, they're centered on Jesus, and I've strayed from that in some capacity. And maybe it's your success, maybe it's because it's all about you now. Maybe it's your difficulty, your sin, suffering, and strife. Listen, whatever that is, my prayer for you this morning is that you would begin to take these steps to be ready, to be different, to be who you already are in Jesus. And you would ask these questions, and you would take these steps this morning, don't wait, that we would begin to live out this living hope that we have in Jesus. Let's pray for each other. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you have given us this living hope. And it doesn't start with what we it starts with what you did. And Father, that alone causes us to want to live this living hope out. What an amazing gift you have given us. Salvation in Jesus. New identity in Jesus. Eternal life in Jesus. God, I pray that for these men and women, that would resonate deep within the core of this movement. They wouldn't try to earn your acceptance. They would just merely express that they already have it. They would be ready. They would be different. They would be who they are in you. Father, you would help us. We need it desperately. We pray in the name of Jesus, by your spirit.